0: This podcast is administered of Rosemont Baptist Church in Angeles, Georgia. For more information, visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Thank you, Philip. Let me pray for us, if I could, before we begin. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to study your word. We thank you for uh, giving us the, the, the mind, Father, and, and the, the, the processes to be able to understand what you say. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us a clear teaching in your word, Lord. I pray that we would... Take the time this morning to, to, to delve into it and understand it, Father. I pray you would enlighten our hearts and our minds through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, we would leave here transformed, changed into your image. We're going to give you the praise and the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I want to start this morning, if I could, and you don't have to turn there with me, but I want to read from Proverbs chapter 4. I want you to listen to these words. Proverbs chapter 4, verse, verses 1 through 6. Listen, my sons, to a father's instructions. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. For I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me and he said to me, Take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will we'll watch over you you know there are all sorts of influences and things that tempt us in this world today and as we think about our children or our grandchildren there are all sorts of influences that tempt them as well I mean you could kinda go down the list right I mean you could make out a list of all the things that our students deal with on a regular basis every moment of every day you can make a list of all the things that draw their attention that try to tempt them and trick them away from the things that are true things like television Television is a great thing if used properly, right? But we all know there are things on television that our children shouldn't be looking at. There' are things on television we shouldn't be looking at, right? The Internet. The Internet is a great temptation with Facebook. How many of you guys have a Facebook page? Just students, Just students? Almost all. How many adults have a Facebook page? Yeah. How many of you check it every day. I'm just kidding, don't, don't raise it. I don't embarrass anybody. They're, they're great. I'm here checking it right now. Don't check it right now, okay? Don't check it right. Don't tweet that your pastor said to check Facebook right now either. Don't do that, okay? But the, the internet's a great thing, but we also know it can be dangerous. It influences us and it, and it shapes us and it can change us. Peer pressure, right? We deal with peer pressure. Our children deal with peer, with peer pressure. They, they deal with the influences and, and, and the people that try to draw them away, like drugs and alcohol and, and materialism. There, there's so many influences on our children today. In fact, as a parent, If you're a parent or you're a grandparent or you have children in your family, you'll understand this. There's so many things that influence our children. Sometimes it's kind of scary to think about how they're going to turn out, isn't it? It's really scary to think about the world that they live in, the world they're going to grow up in, and all the influences they're going to have to navigate through as they grow up to reach a place in their life that brings honor and glory to God. It's scary, but I want you to know something. It's very interesting. Of all the influences on our children, I want you to listen to this now. Of all the influences that draw away our children and all the things they're going to have to deal with, research indicates, study after study after study, shows that the number one influence on a child is, you ready for this? The parents. Still. Isn't that interesting? Of all the things our children can become involved in, research indicates that the parents are still the number one influence on their children. Let me read you an article or a portion of an article about that research. Here's what it says. It says, the parent shapes children's interactions with their peers, their sense of security about exploring the world, their resilience to stress, their ability to balance their emotions, and their capacity to create meaningful interpersonal relationships for the future. Having this foundation or lacking it affects everything from school success to the ability to form friendships, self-esteem, social skills, emotional intelligence, and even who a child picks as a spouse can all be traced back to a strong relationship with the parents. Isn't that interesting? huh? Of all the things we deal with in the world, of all the influences that are affecting our students on a regular basis, the parents are still the number one influence on the lives of their children. Now, that, that's important for a parent of the world, a parent outside the church, a parent that's not a believer. That's important for them. But it's doubly important for a Christian believer. Here's why. You understand that you're not only going to influence the way that your child lives on this earth, but you have the possibility of influencing your child for eternity. You understand that? It's doubly important. And so we we understand the importance of being a godly parent. We understand our role in shaping and molding our children into the image of Christ. Now I talked last week about this desire of our church to to begin to to formulate and study and develop a family ministry plan. We've been talking about it for several months, we're going to continue to talk about it for several months, and in August of this year, we're going to launch what we're calling a family summit. It's going to be the beginning of a process for us, and the family summit's going to be a time where, where families, parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles can come and be equipped and be trained, and the goal of this family ministry plan... The goal of this summit is to partner with parents and equip them to lead their children in spiritual growth. We believe, as a parent, there's nothing more important than you can do than to raise your children to love the Lord. We believe that. We believe the Bible teaches that. We believe the Bible is very clear about that. We believe that of all the things you do in your life, there's nothing more important than teaching your children to love the Lord with all their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength. And so with that importance in mind, we began a sermon series last week about the family. Got family, right? Got family. We think we covered the gamut here. <laughs> We've got all sorts of families represented. Somebody told me I needed to dress like every one of these different week to indicate different parts of the family. I don't think I'm going to do that, although I like the guy in the shorts and the little short sleeve shirt. I like that. But we understand the importance of teaching parents to disciple their children. So we took a look last week at Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 5. We kind of set a foundation for the family. We took a look at the family and God's plan for creation. We took a look at the family and God's plan for redemption and how he used Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, eventually through David and eventually through Christ to redeem the world back to himself. We kind of took a, a big picture approach to the family. So this week... After taking kind of a 30,000 foot view last week, we're going to delve into the specifics. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open to Deuteronomy chapter 6. The focal passage this morning will be verses 6 through 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. Now Deuteronomy, as you're flipping over, is written by Moses. Written about fourteen to 1,500 years before the birth of Christ. And this passage of scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is known as the Shema. It's one of the most important portions of the Jewish scripture. In fact, the Jewish people studied it, they memorized it, they recited it, they prayed it in the morning, they prayed it before they went to bed, they prayed it all through their day. It was foundational in their lives. So as we read and study this portion of Deuteronomy, we're kind of standing on the shoulders of people for centuries that have understood the importance of this scripture in the home. So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. Moses says, these commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Verse 7, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads and write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now we took a look last week at Deuteronomy 1 through 5 and we took a look at kind of the big picture of how we should obey God as a family. How we should fear God as a family. How we should love God as a family. But as we look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 through 9, there's some very specific things I want you to understand about how this ought to work in the home. If we're going to teach our children to love God, if we're going to teach our children to obey God, if we're going to teach our children to fear God, how do we do that? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 through 9 gives us some very specifics. And the first thing I want you to see this morning from this passage of Scripture is that if we're going to teach our children the things of God, then number one, the things of God must first be on our own hearts. The things of God must be on our own hearts. Look at verse 6 again. These commandments that I give you today are to be where? On your hearts, right? Now, let me tell you what it doesn't say. These commands that I give you today are to be thought about only on Sunday morning from 9.30 until 11. It doesn't say that. These commands that I give you today are to sit in your closet at home and you're never to look at them again. It doesn't say that. These commandments that I give you today are to be occasionally discussed with your family. It's not what it says. The Bible says very clearly that these commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. That's interesting for the Jewish person. As we think about this idea of putting the things of God on our hearts. For For the Jewish person, the heart wasn't the center of emotion. We think about our hearts and we think about emotion, don't we? If I said someone's got a broken heart, that's an emotional experience they've been through, right? But for the Jewish person, the heart wasn't the seat of emotion. It was instead the seat of intellect. So when they say to put these commands upon your heart, what they mean is you need to think about them. They need to resonate in your brain. You need to consider them on a regular basis. Now, you you should sit there every now and then. I don't want you to do it now. (laughs) But you should think about what you think about. You hear that? You should think about what you think about. Now, here's what I mean. Wouldn't it be interesting if you could kind of pull up a record of everything that went through your brain every day? So you go home at night and you go to a web page or do whatever you've got to do and you pull up a list of everything you've thought of. Think about all the stuff that went through your brain in a day. Some good things, some bad, I'm sure, right? We think about jobs. We spend a lot of time thinking about our jobs. We spend a lot of time thinking about our families. Maybe if we've got a job we don't like, we think a lot about vacation, right? Maybe we think about the big game coming up. Maybe we think about some relationship that's strained or, or a marriage issue that we're dealing with. But we think of all sorts of things through the course of a day. But here's the question I want you to answer. How often times do we think about the things of God? I and mean, if you had to rank your thoughts, one through a thousand, however many thoughts you have a day, where would God fall on that list? Would it even be in the top ten? See, this, this scripture is very clear to us. If we're going to teach children the things of God, it needs to begin with us. You understand that? You can't teach your child what you don't know. You can't train your child to do things. It's okay. Don't worry about it. You can't teach your child to always walk down the right aisle when you're going to the bathroom. I understand that. It's perfectly fine. Having four children, no problem. I feel like I'm at home. I feel more comfortable now, right? We we can't train our children to do things that we ourselves can't do. If we're going to lead our children to love the Lord and to do the things that God has commanded us to do, then it needs to begin in our hearts. You understand that? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we talked about it last week and it's pretty self-explanatory. It needs to be on your hearts. But look at verse 7. He's going to begin to give us now some specifics. If you're going to lead your children and it begins with you, what do you need to be doing? Look at verse 7. You need to take these commandments and you need to, verse 7, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Now, the second thing I want you to understand from this passage of Scripture is that not only must it begin in our hearts, but secondly, we must impress on our children the things of God. You see that? We must impress on our children the things of God. If you wanted to sum up parenthood scripturally, this is it. If you wanted to sum up your role as a parent according to Scripture, it's this. Now, here's what it's not. I need to teach my child how to play a sport better than any other. Now, there's nothing wrong with sports. I love sports. My children are involved in activities and sports. I want my son to play t-ball. I I want all that stuff to happen. But that's not my primary calling. It doesn't say that we need to impress upon our children how to dance, right? Or how to be socially important. Or how to do this or how to do that. The Bible's clear. If we're going to look at a summary statement of parenting in the Bible, it's this. We need to impress upon our children the things of god we need to impress upon our children who he is and how we should live. Now I want to step back for a second. Because sometimes we 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 have this idea that you know we can we can take certain doctrine by just taking one verse out of context. Well so that's in Deuteronomy. Okay. Deuteronomy, good grief. How old is that? Right? It's 3000 years ago written to the Jewish people. Seriously, we're we supposed to take that now and apply that to our lives? Okay. Well, let's take a step back for a second. And let's just take a, a just an overall look just for a couple of minutes at some other scripture. Now, I've got these on the screen, so you don't necessarily have to look them up unless you want to. But I'd love for you to jot these down. I want to make the case that impressing on your children the things of God is found all through the Bible. Genesis 18, 19. Genesis 18, 19 says this. For I have chosen him, now that's Abraham, speaking of Abraham, so that he will, what? Direct his children and his household after him to do what? To keep the way of the Lord. you see that? God says, I've chosen Abraham. Why? Because I want him to teach his children, and then I want his children to teach their children and their children all the way down the line. Now, if you look in Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Christ, you would see that Christ's lineage began with Abraham, right? Abraham was commanded to teach his child Isaac. Isaac was commanded to teach his child Jacob, and on down the list it goes. God says, I've called this man so that he can direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 10, just a couple of scriptures ahead of where we're at this morning. Deuteronomy 4, 10 says this. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and, now what are they supposed to do? Teach them to their children. See that? God says, I've assembled you. So you can learn my commandments and then I want you to go home and forget about them and never do anything with them again. No, that's not what the scripture says. You're to go home and teach them to your children. Joshua 24, 15. You'll recognize this. It's a very famous portion of scripture. Here's what Joshua says. This is kind of Joshua on his deathbed, right? He says this. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you... Then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors, served beyond the Euphrates, or the god of the Amorites, in whose land you are now living. Now watch what he says. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua says, we've decided as a family to lead our family in the things of God. We're going to serve the Lord. Psalm 78, verses 4 through 6. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. He decreed statues for Jacob and He established the law of Israel. Now watch this. Which He commanded our ancestors to teach their children. See that? He says, I've given you these decrees and these laws. Why? So you can forget about them? No. So you can leave your Bible closed and on the shelf and dusty until next Sunday morning? No. I've given... These commands to you so that you can teach them to your children. Proverbs 1, 8, 9. Listen to this. Listen, my son, to your father's instructions. Do not forsake your mother's teachings. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. We see the importance of the father and the mother's instruction in the home. One more. I've got time for one more. First Thessalonians 2, verse 11 through 12 says this. For you know... That we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his children. Now how does a father deal with his children? Look at verse 12. Encouraging, comfort, urging you to live lives, what? Worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Over and over and over again we see in the scripture. The clear teaching for parents is that we must impress on our children the things of God. It's clear There's really no debate. And we've got scripture after scripture after scripture that explains this truth to us. We need to be very careful when we get wrapped up in other things. We need to be very careful when we put other priorities ahead of impressing the things of God on our children. Look at verse 7 again of Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Bible says very clearly you are to impress them on your children. I love that word impress. I looked it up in the original Hebrew. In the Hebrew it really has this sense of repeating Okay, So we're to impress things on our children. How? We repeat them. We do them over and over and over again. There's this sense that we need to be intentional and we need to repeat and do these things that we've seen in the scripture over and over and over with our children. It's not a one-time event. Now I looked up the definition of the word impress. It means to fix deeply or firmly on the mind or memory as ideas or facts. Now here's the thing about impression. You ready? When you impress something and you do it properly, it's going to last for a long time. You understand that? When you properly impress something, it's going to last for a long time. One of of the things that, that I've enjoyed over the years is going to Stone Mountain. Some of you have been to Stone Mountain. You've been to the water park in Stone Mountain. Maybe you've been on top of the mountain. How many of you have hiked up Stone Mountain? How many of you, when you got to the top, wish you hadn't hiked up and you'd have ridden the car? Yeah, right, Okay. The older I get, the more I wish I'd just taken the car, right? But when you get to Stone Mountain, by the way, my grandfather growing up in Atlanta, they used to drive their cars up Stone Mountain. I'm not kidding. Back before it was a state park, that, that they drove their car. He tells me the story. They got to a point they couldn't get all the way to the top, but he would literally, that was back in the 20s now, a long time ago, but he would drive his car up to the top of the mountain. Now, when you go to Stone Mountain, that's not a part of the sermon. That's just an interesting story. You can just set that aside. When you go to Stone Mountain and you take a look at the mountain, one of the first things that, that, that really kind of grabs your attention is, is the carving on the side of the mountain, right? You've seen it. It's the carving of the three Confederate leaders, you know, and you've looked at it and, and you've probably seen the laser show where the lasers are up there and it shines on them and it illuminates. You've seen all that. There's some interesting facts about that sculpture. Number one, those figures are about 90 feet tall each. That's a pretty big sculpture. They're 400 feet off the ground. And this sculpture officially began in 1923. That's when they commissioned this artist to sculpt this thing. It's actually the largest relief sculpture in the world. Began in 1923. And over the course of several decades, they had some work stoppages. There were some arguments. The one guy that was commissioned quit. And he eventually went and did, uh, did uh, uh, Mount Rushmore. Okay, He quit, and they hired another guy, they bring other people, in, and on and on it goes. Beginning in 1923, it wasn't officially completed until March the 3rd, 1972. Isn't that interesting? 50 years. Now, you can imagine the difficulty in carving this thing, the amount of work and the amount of blood, sweat, and tears that went into this job. But those workers when they were done, had impressed upon that mountain the images of those men. Now, here's the thing you need to understand about that carving. It's going to be there tomorrow, isn't it? And it's going to be there next week. And when you go next summer and watch the laser show, it's still going to be there. And when you go in two years and in 10 years and in 20 years, unless somebody destroys it, it's still going to be there. Those men impressed upon that mountain, the images of those men, and it's going to stand the test of time. When I read this word in Deuteronomy, And I think about the idea of impressing upon our children. I think about all the amount of work that's required. I think about all the blood, sweat, and tears. I think about all the years and years and years of difficult times and sometimes struggles to impress the things of God upon our children. But I understand something very clearly. When we do it right, when we take this seriously, when we regularly and intentionally impress upon our children the things of God, it's going to endure the test of time, right? Right? But in order for that to happen, we've got to be intentional. Right? We've got to do it regularly. We've got to be consistent. So we're told in verse 7, we need to impress these things on our children. But now we're going to delve in in verse 7 and see some very specific things. How do we impress these things on our children, right? I mean, if I'm going to carve a statue, I've never carved a statue. But if I'm going to carve a statue, I'm imagine I'm going to need a hammer and a chisel and some equipment to carve the statue. I don't know how it works, but at least I've got some tools to begin the process. How do we actually impress upon our children How do we teach them the things of God? Well, look again at the passage of Scripture here. It gives us some very specific things. Talk, it says, about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. The first thing I want you to understand as we think about impressing upon our children the things of God is first, we must talk to our children about God. If you're going to impress the things of God upon your children, the Scripture teaches very clearly you need to begin by talking to your children about the things of God. That's kind of like a no-brainer, right? Yeah, we know we're supposed to talk. But I want to ask you a question. How often do you do it? Think about all the conversations you have with your children. If your children are younger, those conversations are a little more interesting, right? Sometimes you don't know what they're talking about, but you listen anyway, and you shake your head and you smile, right? Yeah, I like talking to you. The older they get, you understand them a little bit better. The conversation becomes a little more in-depth. But think about all the things you talk about with your kid on a regular basis. School. I bet every day you have some conversation about school with your child. Homework friends, social issues maybe as they get a little bit older, driving as they get a little bit older, all sorts of things we talk about with our kids. But how often do we talk with our kids about the things of God? How often? We find it easy, guys, to talk to our kid about how the Braves are doing or going to do, how the Falcons are doing, how our favorite football team is doing. Moms, maybe we find it easy to talk to our girls about Facebook, or about a party or a dance they're going to. How easy do we find it to talk about the things of God? It's interesting to me that the easiest thing to do is sometimes the hardest, isn't it? God says, if you want to press upon your children the things of God, you begin by talking. But look at what he says. He gives some very specifics here. When do we talk to them? Well, that's a good question. Here's what it says. When you sit at home. When you walk, on, when you walk along the road. When you lie down. When you get up. Now, now, here's what most people in our world don't do anymore. You Ready? We don't just go home and sit and kind of stare at the wall, do we? That's just not the world we live in. We don't just go home and just kind of sit and stare at the ceiling for three or four hours till we get tired and go to bed. We go home and we watch TV. We go home and we surf the web. We go home and we read. We get on the phone. And if you're not careful, you find this in the house. Mom's in one room doing her thing. Dad's in another room doing his thing. Kids are off in their own room doing their own thing. And although they're all together as a family, they're not really together as a family. But God says you need to talk to your children. This passage of Scripture says you need to talk to your children while you sit at home. Now, there's been a lot of research done when it comes to talking between children and parents. In fact, I saw just a a statistic that was really hard for me to believe in my research this week. It said that research indicates that the national average, now this is the average, I hope it's a lot better in our homes here in this church, but the national average is that children speak to their fathers an average of five minutes a day. You hear that? On average, children speak to their fathers five minutes a day. That's about 30, 35 minutes a week. Now you compare that to the incredible amount of hours they spend watching TV and watching the internet, right? You Think about all the influences that can draw them away. We spend five minutes a day. There's been a lot of research done when it comes to parents and their children. And there's one activity that kind of gives you more bang for your buck, right? If you want to spend some real quality time with your children, there's one activity that seems to be better than others. It's a simple one. You know what it is? Eating dinner together. That's true. Christian and secular research has shown that one of the most important times families can spend together is eating dinner. Now let me read you a couple of quotes about eating dinner together, just in case you're curious. Eating dinner together, quote, acts as a kind of vaccine, protecting kids from all manner of harm. Now listen to this. Studies show that the more often families eat together, the less likely kids are to smoke, to drink, to do drugs, to get depressed, to develop eating disorders and consider suicide. And the more likely they are to do well in school, delay having sex, eating their vegetables, learning big words, knowing which fork to use. Isn't that interesting? See, they they say if you'll just spend time eating with your family, they're already way ahead of the curve. You understand that? Now, here's what's kind of fascinating to me. It took research 3,000 years to say what the Bible's been saying from day one, right? If you'll just spend time sitting at home talking with your kids, you'll impact them. Just think about the impact you can have on your family if you spent one hour every night at home eating dinner and you were intentional about talking about the things of God with your children. Just imagine what that would look like in your home. Just imagine what that would look like with your family and with your children. But it doesn't just stop there. The Bible doesn't just say we just talk to them while we're at home. It says we talk when we walk along the road, or for us it'd be drive, right? Think about it, all the time we're in the car with our children. You need to talk about them when you drive. You need to talk about them when you lie down, when you get up. What the, what the Hebrew is kind of saying to us here in the original language, when it gives us both ends of the spectrum, when you're at home, when you drive, when you sit down, and when you, when you, when you lay down and when you get up, it kind of helps us understand that it's talking about all times here, right? You need to talk about the things of God with your children at all times. It should happen often, and it should happen intentionally. So if we're going to impress the things of God upon our children, it begins by talking to them intentionally about the things of God. But look at verse 8. As we continue to move through this scripture, verse 8 says this. Not only are we to talk to our children about the commands of God, but verse 8 says this. We're to tie them, those are the commandments, as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. The second thing we need to do, not only do we talk to our children about the things of God, but we must make the things of God a part of who we are. We need to make the things of God a part of who we are. You say, what well, it doesn't say that. It just says I'm supposed to bind them to my hand and put them on my forehead. Those are interesting phrases, aren't they? Those are words when we think about tying and binding, that we're in some way supposed to take those commandments and attach them to us. That's what the Bible says. On our foreheads, on our hands. Now, the, the Jewish people have taken this teaching literally. And they build these little boxes that we would call phylacteries. And in these phylacteries, they put these scriptures, these little bitty scrolls. Literally, they roll them up and put them in these scriptures. They put the Shema and other teachings in these little scriptures. And they literally, with a leather belt, they tie them around their head. You could look online and look at pictures. It's still a practice today in, in uh, Orthodox Jewish households. And they take this little phylactery and they walk around it. at certain times during the day, they literally open this box up, pull out these little things and read these little teachings. They have actually attached it to their foreheads. Now, I think more than a literal understanding of attaching it to the foreheads, we need to understand it teaching that we need to take the things of God and kind of make them a, a part of who we are. We need to take them with us as we go. It needs to become our lifestyle, right? The way that we act needs to be demonstrated in the things that God teaches. Here's what one scholar said about public demonstration. He says that when we do these things, right, when we attach these things to our body and and they go with us and we live our lives for Christ, he says it becomes a public demonstration of the person's commitment to God. That's interesting because this is not the first time that this phrase has been used. In fact, if we were to look back, you don't have to do it as we we, uh, look back this morning. But Exodus 13, verses 9 and 10, you can just jot that down. Let me read it to you. Exodus 13, 9 and 10, I want you to pay attention to the phrase that Moses uses here. This observance, and he's talking about the Passover meal. He's talking about the Passover. He says, this observance will be for you like, you ready? A sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips. So he says, when you partake of this Passover meal, your action demonstrates your commitment to the Lord. That's what he's saying. That's why the Jewish people every year partake of the Passover feast. Why? Because it points to Christ. It reminds them of who God is, and it reminds them of how they're supposed to act in their life. So when we read this passage of Scripture, we're supposed to tie them on our hands and bind them on our foreheads. We understand that our actions should indicate that we love the Lord. Now watch this. When your kids see you acting like that, it's going to affect them. You've heard the phrase, it goes something like this. More is caught than taught, right? Here's what one writer said. He said, what one says is rarely as influential as what one Does. Huh. Now we need to be talking to our kids. But I'm going to tell you something, parents, grandparents. If you're not living your life for Christ, your kids aren't either. If your number one goal in Scripture, as far as parenting is concerned, is to impress upon your children the things of God, and you're not living a lifestyle that indicates that, you're not impressing upon your children the things of God, I'm going to tell you right now. You can talk to your blue in the face, but they're going to look at your actions way more than they look at your words. So Moses tells us in Deuteronomy 6, we need to impress by talking. We need to impress by living our lives in such a way that our children see who God is and see that we love Him. And then thirdly, look at verse 9 as we finish up this morning. Not only are we to talk, not only are we to tie and bind, but verse 9 says we are to write them, those are the commandments, on the door frames of our houses and on your gates. The third thing I want you to know about impressing upon our children is that we must make the things of God a permanent part of our home. We need to make the things of God a permanent part of our home. I bet I could walk into your house right now and just look around at all the visual statements in your house and learn a little bit about your family, right? You say, what do you mean? Well, I could look at pictures, first of all. I could see probably pictures of your children, pictures of maybe mom and dad or grandparents, pictures of aunts and uncles, and probably the more pictures of an individual person that you can find, maybe the more important that person is, right? I mean, in our household, we got a lot of pictures of our children, I bet I could learn something about your family, by the pictures you hang up in your house. I bet I could walk into your house and learn which college football team you root for. I bet I could. I bet somewhere in your house, there's some display of that college team. You may be so used to it, you've forgotten it's even there. But I bet I could find it. I bet as I look around, I could see it. I bet I could walk into your house and know if you're a hunter, you're going to have a deer head on your head if you're a good hunter, right? Maybe you're a bad hunter, but if you're a good hunter, there's going to be a deer head on your wall. One of the things we learned as we did our faith training, and some of you guys that are faith trained will remember, is we were taught to look for clues about a person's background. That's one of the things we were trained to do. So you drive up in a guy's yard, and he's got a big boat. He's probably a fisherman. He likes to water ski. You begin a conversation with him about that. You walk in his house, and he's got a big Georgia thing on the, on the wall. You know he's a Georgia fan. You talk about that, Right? You walk into his house and you see little toys and little trains. You know he's probably got a little son or a little daughter. You talk to him about that. But we have all sorts of visual reminders in our house that indicate who we are. How many visual reminders do we have about the things of God? Right? If I walk through your house, would I see visual reminders that you're a Christian? Would I I know? Is the Bible prominent? Is Is it on the nightstand because you read it regularly? Is it besides your favorite chair in the living room because you spend time studying it every night? Are there framed artwork or framed scriptures that indicate you love the Lord and you want to serve Him? Or is your house void of these visible reminders? The Bible says very clearly we're to make these things a permanent part of our house. We're to write them on our door frames. We're to write them on our gates. One of the things I love about our family ministry plan that we're working through is we're going to encourage families to actually write down a plan for spiritual growth in their house. Isn't that a novel idea? We write down all sorts of things, don't we? We write down a budget. We write down a to-do list. Some of you guys have a honey-do list of things you're supposed to do around the house, right? We have all sorts of things that are important to us that we write down. Do we have a plan in our house for spiritual growth with our family? Have we ever written it down? Have we set goals spiritually for our children? Have we set goals spiritually for ourselves? The Bible tells us we're to write these things on the door frames of our houses. We're to write these things on the gates of our houses. We're to make these things a permanent part of who we are. I wonder how much we could accomplish for God if we spent the time actually writing down goals spiritually in our house. I wonder how much our children would grow if we had a written plan that we developed and followed to lead them in the things of God. You know, I had the opportunity last summer to go to Romania, and Romania was a brand new experience for me. I'd never been over there. I'd never seen the things that I saw, and I, I was expecting to see some incredible things, and I did. But one of the things that kind of stuck out with me is, 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 is these people's ability and their desire to produce their own food. They, they just literally grow what they're going to eat in their backyard. They're they're probably 100, 150 years behind where we are. 150 years ago, we did that here in America. Now, we just go to the grocery store. Over there, everybody's got a garden, and everybody produces their own food. But because the winter is so harsh over there, and there's so much snow, if you were to look in the backyards of most of these houses, they've all got greenhouses. Now, for us in America, a greenhouse is kind of a hobby, isn't it? If you've got a greenhouse, more than likely, it's just a hobby. It's just something you enjoy doing. You don't have a greenhouse because you have to have it to survive. In Romania, they have it because they need to survive because in the winter, the crops won't grow. And so they build these greenhouses. And here's what they do in those greenhouses. They, They maintain the proper temperature. They maintain the proper light. They make sure there's enough nourishment and there's enough water for these plants. And they take these seeds and they plant them in dirt in the greenhouse. And then over the course of months and weeks, they nurture these little seeds. They make sure they get enough water. They make sure they get enough fertilizer. They make sure they get enough nutrients. And they they begin to watch these plants grow and they take care of these plants. And they nurture and they protect and they take care of these plants. And after weeks and weeks and weeks, these plants have grown and their roots are strong enough that these plants can now be transported to the outside when spring comes and they can plant them in the dirt and they're strong enough now to to withstand the elements, the rain and the heat and the sun and the wind and all the things that are outside. But if it weren't for these greenhouses, if, if these people didn't keep the temperature and the humidity, everything correct in these greenhouses, these plants wouldn't grow. See, when I think about impressing upon our children the things of God, that that illustration of a greenhouse comes to mind because that's kind of what our houses are supposed to be. That's what our homes should be for our families. We take these precious little seeds that God has given us, and we plant them, and we begin to nurture them, and we begin to water them, and we begin to provide for them, and we make sure that the conditions are right, and we make sure that everything is as it's supposed to be, and one day we see a little sprout, right? Right? And we continue to water, and we, we continue to watch, and we continue to protect and take care of until that sprout grows, and eventually we have leaves, and eventually the roots deepen. And at some point in the future, those roots are strong enough. And that plant is hardy enough that we can take that plant into the world, and it can survive. See, that's what we do with our children. But God commands us to nurture our children, to provide for our children to make the conditions right so they can understand who Christ is and they can grow in their faith in the Lord in your home. Parents, it's your job to nurture your children, to impress upon them the things of God by talking about them, by making them a part of who you are, by making them a part of your home. But we've got to be intentional for this to happen. It's got to be done regularly, and it's got to be something that we're aware of. See, God's calling our children to do incredible things for Him. I firmly believe he's building an army with our children. Because, folks, I think there's some stuff coming that a lot of us aren't prepared for. I had a man tell me one time, and I shudder to think about this, but he was very serious. He says, I'm afraid we're raising an army or a generation of martyrs. It's a scary thought, isn't it? See, God's got incredible things for our children. Here's the question. What are you doing right now to prepare them for his work? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your teaching, Lord. It's very sobering sometimes for us to consider. Father, it's daunting sometimes as we consider the task that you've given us as parents, as grandparents, as as having some sort of control over children around us, Father, that you've given us this command and this principle, Lord, that we're to teach our children about you. Father, forgive us when we haven't. Forgive us of all the lost hours and the lost days and the lost weeks and sometimes, Father, the lost years. We can never change the past, Lord, but give us the strength to change the future. Father, give us the strength to impress upon our children the things that you want them to know, to love you, Father, to honor you, to serve you, to fear you, to obey you, Lord. Help us to talk to our children. Help us to make these things a part of who we are. Help us to to integrate these things into our home in such a way, Father, that you are praised And you change our children, Father. And you raise up a generation, Lord, that can change the world for Christ. Help us to understand, Father, we're the families and we're the parents right now that have to be an integral part of that. Give us the strength to do it, Father. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity for just a few minutes to come and pray. Maybe you need to pray about your relationship with Christ. Maybe you need to pray about some priorities in your home. Maybe you need to come and accept Christ as your Savior. Maybe you want to join this church. But we give you right now, this is your time. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. We invite you to visit our campus at 3794 Hamilton Road in LaGrange, Store, Or visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. God bless you.